you don't have to have a PhD in climatology or a PhD in anything to be part of this movement. You just need to care about others in the future and be compassionate. And the first thing is to know you can't go it alone and the importance of community and connection and how we all really need each other, especially because of the extreme weather events we've already experienced and we're likely going to be experiencing. It also requires that compassion that no, you can't go it alone because we have to work together in order to shift the culture. And that's one of the reasons I started the nonprofit that goes along with the book, OneGreenThing.org, is because I wanted to invite people into the movement to take action each day and to understand that if you are hearing individual action doesn't matter, that is not true. It absolutely matters. Welcome to this special Earth Day edition of The Glow Podcast. I'm Lisa Brooks-Mills. Our guest today, back for a second episode, is Heather White. Heather is a national sustainability and climate leader, founder and CEO of One Green Thing, and eco-anxiety expert. The more we learn about climate change and experience its consequences, the easier it is to feel overwhelmed and anxious. Heather is helping people deal with the overwhelm of climate change in her newly released book, One Green Thing, Discover Your Hidden Power to Help Save the Planet. Heather reminds us it's an all-hands-on-deck moment for the planet. If you're worried that the actions of one person can't or won't matter, let me put your mind at ease. Heather and I discuss how your individual actions matter a lot. Small, consistent actions can allay anxiety, shift the culture, help everyone move towards solutions, and create joy. I encourage you to check out Heather's book and website, One Green Thing. Discover your sustainability superpower and get started. This is about progress, not perfection. You can learn more about Heather and One Green Thing by listening in on the GLOW podcast episode, Eco-Anxiety and the Connection Between Protecting Our Planet and Self-Care. I'll link to this episode in the show notes. I'll also include some helpful GLOW classes. Eco-anxiety can manifest as worry and rumination, insomnia, feelings of sadness, guilt, and hopelessness. These emotions can lead to shallow breathing and bodily tensions. So these classes were designed to help support you. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Heather White and that you feel inspired to take part in helping our planet by creating a daily sustainability practice. Her book is like a warm, comforting hand leading your way. Welcome, Heather. We appreciate you coming back to the Globe Podcast. For this episode, we're going to highlight eco-anxiety and dive deeper into your book, One Green Thing, Discover Your Hidden Power to Help Save the Planet. Thank you so much, Lisa, for having me back on and the opportunity to talk about the book, which you actually have in your hands, which I'm so excited because last time we talked, it was a concept and a word document, and now it's, it's here, and I'm thrilled to have the opportunity to talk to you about it. To see it, feel it, touch it, and and dive into the beauty of the work. It's so comprehensive. I'm loving it so much. I, I want to get it into everyone's hands. And it is for everyone. So let's, let's start with eco-anxiety. The American Psychology Association, the APA, describes eco-anxiety as the chronic fear of environmental cataclysm 
that comes from observing the seemingly irrevocable impact of climate change and the associated concern for one's future and that of next generations. It can otherwise be known as climate anxiety, correct? Correct. That's the definition. And I was reading more about climate psychology, where mm -hmm. folks are focusing on this specifically to help their patients and clients through these moments of eco-anxiety. So if you could share more about your experience and then how, how your book came to be, again, the antidote to, if you will, eco-anxiety for coping with this overwhelming, what can feel so insurmountable climate crisis. It's overwhelming, Lisa. It really is. And that's why I wrote the book. And I'm so glad after reading it, you see it as an, an open invitation to everyone because we need everyone involved in the movement. But your question about eco-anxiety, yes, there is a whole group called the Climate Psychology Alliance started by Carol Hickman in the UK. She is a great resource and she's done all kinds of terrific publications on the mental health impacts of the climate crisis. Actually, there was a survey last September that we may have talked about when we last got together. It was surveyed 10,000 young people around the world and one out of four did not want to have children because they were so concerned about the climate crisis and 47%, so almost half said that climate anxiety interfered with their daily life. And also practitioners, which I, I'm not a psychologist, I'm a lawyer, a mom, an environmental activist and pol policy person, so I'll tell you how I got into this in just a minute. But psychologists and psychiatrists and mental health professionals are seeing more and more young people and people of all ages, but especially young people who have generalized anxiety, but they're also having anxiety about the future they're inheriting, eco-anxiety. And that's partly my journey. My journey is my daughter wanted to be involved in the 2019 global climate strike. I encouraged her to go. I think we talked about this, how I offered to drive her <laughs> to the protest site because it was raining and I didn't want her to get rained on. And that meant we had a really impassioned conversation at the dinner table involving my older daughter, who was 14 at the time, and my younger daughter, who was 12, about you know what, what was I doing? What was my husband doing? What was Generation X doing to help Generation Z in the climate crisis? And as we started talking and they started talking about their fear and concern about the future, about whether or not they wanted to have children, how we're running out of time and how adults aren't doing anything, I realized that even with more than 20 years experience in environmental policy and advocacy, I had to step up my game and I had to create an opportunity for first for people to recognize eco-anxiety to be able to listen to their kids about how they're feeling about the future and three, to take action. So I would say first, if you have a kid that is suffering from eco-anxiety in a very significant way, obviously go to a mental health professional. That's really important. But for a lot of us, it's overwhelming in a sense where we don't know where to begin. And that's kind of where my, my book comes in. And the, the anecdote for that generalized eco-anxiety um, not something that requires a medical intervention or professional is, is action. And even those medical professionals would, you know, encourage therapy, but they also encourage action, including time outdoors, including taking a meaningful step each day to try to control what you can control in a problem that is so big and affects all of us in really important ways. Right. So eco-anxiety was, we emailed each other about this, that it was mentioned in the IPCC. Yes, for the first time this March, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, the United Nations Committee on Climate Change, acknowledged the mental health impacts of the climate crisis, not only from people experiencing trauma from extreme weather events, but also anticipating 
what's going to happen. And that was the first time that the UN had engaged in this conversation. But that just shows how more and more people are connecting the dots with how we're feeling, the future we're leaving our kids, and how we need to act. And I'll include in in the show notes the link to the report as well, which I think is says something. This is a good sign, yes, that this is agree a hundred percent. It's a very good sign, and I think it may be an opportunity for us to wake up. Not just like the, the conversation I have with my kids. I've had friends tell me, Heather, of course, your kids have eco-anxiety because you're your kids. You talk about this. This is your work. Mm. And I said, create space and talk to yours. And and it doesn't have to be your kids. You don't have to have children, a young person that you love. And you might be surprised. And to a person, all of my friends have had kids who have said, some of them have been full of sarcasm, like, oh, yeah. You know, we've got 10 years and then there's nothing going to be, there'll, there'll not be nothing for us to look forward to. And yeah. others who are like, yeah, mom, I think about it every day. We just don't talk about it at the dinner table. So yeah. I think that it's important uh, for people to understand that, that the connecting the dots and acknowledging the problem is the first step. Mm-hmm. And realizing though, I, I hope as we talk more about how our young people are feeling, one out of four not wanting to have children not because of a parental trauma or just it doesn't fit my lifestyle or it's not exactly what I want, but because they're worried about the future. Yeah. That's very different than other friends I've had who've decided not to have children. Yeah. It's a very different set of factors that have played into that decision. And I think it's important for us to understand that we all have to act. And that means that as a movement, we need to bring everybody in. Yeah. Okay. Which is what your book does. Yeah, I've been researching a lot about the climate crisis lately to educate myself and research for our sustainability give back initiatives. And I found myself ebbing and flowing from these feelings of anxiety to hope and then back to anxiety. And I feel like that's the natural rhythm that maybe we need to get used to in some ways leaning into that that's going to be a natural cycle. Then your book arrives in the mail and all of a sudden I took like this big exhale and I felt grounded and I felt your book helped organize my head around it. Does that even make sense? (laughs) Kind of give me some mental space around it. So thank you for that. And it's interesting. And maybe it's because we're coming out of this pandemic of, of being isolated. But there are times where you feel alone in it all and as if it's up to me to fix the planet for everybody or something. But I often get teary-eyed of the power of connection and community. And you speak to that a lot in the power to shift culture. So that's part of why I think this book is so timely and needed. But it was interesting for me to experience that big exhale once I got your book into my hands. So thank you for that. Lisa, that's the highest praise that anyone could give. Thank you so much. That is the, the reason I wrote the book and I'm getting a little choked up (laughs) hearing you say that because that just means the world to me because that's, that's exactly why I wrote the book. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I, I can't say enough about it. So you have your, the nonprofit one green thing, and then you also have your books. I'll let you dive into giving us more information about both of those initiatives. And I just did the super service assessment and I'm Sage, but I'm going to do it later because I know I have a second one. And you said most people have a second one. So let's get into the book a little bit. 
Sure. Well, thank you, Lisa. And when you were talking about the ebb and flow of feelings, I think that's exactly right. That is completely natural. And I think people who don't have anxiety about the climate crisis are not paying attention. And that feeling of overwhelm and then like, okay, yeah, we do have all of the solutions. We do have that. Oh, wait, but when are we going to act? It's it's this cycle. And so um, when in the book, what I try to do is make sure everyone knows that you don't have to have a PhD in climatology or a PhD in anything to be part of this movement. You just need to care about others in the future and be compassionate. And the first thing is to know you can't go it alone and the importance of community and connection and how we all really need each other, especially because of the extreme weather events we've already experienced and we're likely going to be experiencing. It also requires that compassion that no, you can't go it alone because we have to work together in order to shift the culture. And that's one of the things that we hear a lot is individual action doesn't matter. We have to have this systemic change, these big, big policy solutions, which of course we do. And that's one of the reasons I started the nonprofit that goes along with the book, OneGreenThing.org, is because I wanted to invite people into the movement to take action each day and to understand that if you are hearing individual action doesn't matter, that is not true. It absolutely matters. And it matters because every single one of us is a change agent and we are a culture change agent. Even if the math doesn't work out quite right, or you forgot to bring your reusable bags one day, or you made the wrong choice, or yes, you bought something on sale at a fast fashion place. It's not about shame. It's not about blame. It's not about gotcha. It's about trying to do the best you can each day with the knowledge you have and that individual action, making those better choices and talking to people about it creates that shift we need for these big policy solutions to work because they won't work if we don't demand it. And protesting is really important. And I'm so inspired by Fridays for Future and all these people. And it's intergenerational that are out on the streets saying we need change. But we need more than that. It can't just be protesting. You know, we need people to go lobby members of Congress. But if that's not your thing, you can also take a walk in nature, <laughs> you know, seriously, mm -hmm. to restore your, your, your soul and your spirit. You can talk to people in your community about how important environmental action is. So what I try to do is I, I break down and we can talk about a little bit more. The, the part one of the book is, who are you? What matters to you? How do you want to show up in service to others and into the future? The second part is kind of issue by issue. And I, there's a lot of journaling prompts. It's kind of a self-help book is how I, I wrote it yeah. for the environment. And so I talk about, you know, first of all, no, you can't go it alone because we often do feel solo in the experience. The second is to think beyond your age. And that's what I mean when I say intergenerational partnership. Just what type of ancestor do you want to be? Right. What does your legacy look like and how does that play in in climate? Um, and then I go, you know, energy, water, air, food, yeah. you name it. But that's, those are the first two parts of the book. Yeah, it's so beautiful. And all I kept thinking of is I, I want to start a book club with this book. Because Fantastic. Then, right? Because then you're having the conversations together and then you're reporting back to each other. And I love the journal prompts. It's not read it and leave it, but you keep coming back to it. You report back and track your progress. I love the visualizations. It's very engaging. Thank you. And one of my, my hopes is that it's almost like a workbook. Like you can yeah. you can write in the book. It's okay to take a you know a pen <laughs> and write in it. Yeah. <laughs> The book really celebrates our not only our interconnectedness to one another, but our interconnectedness to nature and the importance of leaning into both of those aspects. 
because as you said, we're all in this together. And it reminded me of John Muir's quote, where you pull on one string and you realize that everything is connected. Truly. It is. Yeah. And I, and I feel like glow is a lot about that too. Like what you do in your, your day to day is about compassion and connection. Yeah. And that's very critical in order for us to have the systemic change that we need. We have to acknowledge that. Certainly believe that if we aren't healthy and grounded and feeling strong in body, heart, and mind, we certainly are less able to get up and take inspired action. Absolutely. That's why, you know, like the sentiment of take care of yourself because our world needs you. And oh, so, it does. Yeah. And so I like, I really like that sentiment just because, you know, even that inspires me on some days to prioritize my self-care because I'm no good yes. to my, my community or or the planet if I'm not taking good care of myself. So I loved Erin Brockovich's forward that she wrote for your book. What a beautiful gift. I'm so grateful. She's such a dear friend. And, and her book is entitled Superman's Not Coming. Okay. Yeah. It's about the water crisis. I wanted to touch on just that sentiment Superman's isn't coming. May I just read a paragraph from her, sure. from her forward? Because I, I just love this. In this book, Heather provides insights into your unique gifts the ways you can show up for this movement and the actions you can take now to help save the planet. I call her the Brene Brown of the environmental movement because she makes environmental action personal, doable, and joyful. Coming to terms with the impacts of climate change on our shared future and understanding, we're at code red for humanity, can make us all feel vulnerable and scared. But we have to embrace this vulnerability experience all the emotions that come with it, and also celebrate the joy of climate action. Heather provides advice without being preachy. We have all been talked down to enough, and that's not going to work for anyone. We have to abandon all or nothing thinking and perfectionism in the environmental movement, which is why I love the concept of one green thing. Everyone is welcome, and you can start today right now. I thought that was so beautiful, inclusive, and lovely. And again, with the climate crisis, any crisis we're going through, it takes all of us to be our own superheroes to show up. And we become this collective one superhero. And so maybe we could talk a little bit about how you help people identify and discover their hidden power, their superpower. Well, I realize that people, I think there's such a power in identity. Yeah. And I'm a big fan of James Clear, Atomic Habits, another terrific book. And this idea that if you identify as a certain type of person, you're more likely to stick with that habit. Mm. So I knew habits had an opportunity to shift culture, to create change, and they do add up. The math does add up over time, but people get hung up on that, especially in the environmental community. Mm -hmm. So I started thinking about the different types of personalities of people I'd worked with over the last 20 years in environmental action and came up with this assessment. So people could understand that you don't have to do everything. You don't have to know it all when it comes to environmental advocacy. And I think some people feel that way because there are some gotchas like, Heather, why are you selling your book on Amazon? Mm. Well, because I'm trying to sell a book and reach as many people as possible. Right. <laughs> and if right. I opt out of Amazon, my message is not going to get there, right? Because yeah. we live in this this culture. We need to update how they do everything, including plastics and, you know, but they just made a huge commitment, you know, to climate change. A lot of times people kind of trying to derail you on all these different things like, mm. aha, I got you. Mm. you know, and, and in reality, we're all doing the best we can. Yeah. So that's why I created the assessment is who are you in service? How do you help others? And then from there, 
I try to match you with this plan based on your personality and your strengths to get started, a 21-day plan to get started on a one green thing each day. So the the different uh, service superpowers I think we talked about, but I think in the environmental community, we have a lot of people who are wonks that love to be focused on the solutions and the math and the science and the technology as they should, because that's critical to get us where we need to go. And then we have a lot of people that are beacons, which are um, focused on truth and social justice. And they're the ones that you know are at the podium and happy to do the interview and happy to be on the courthouse steps. But we have all these other different profiles where we need to be able to communicate and bring people in that may not be the wonk or may not be the beacon that can come in into the movement. And so that's those are things. That, and then within yourself, you can develop these different aspects of yourself too. But that's what inspired me is this idea. If you know, okay, I am a spark, which means that I my one green thing, my contribution is showing up. Mm. because if someone doesn't show up, there is no movement. Right. So if my friend who is the philanthropist is doing an event, or if my friend, the wonk wants me to go see a documentary, I'm in, or my friend, the influencer shares an article, I'm going to do it. Or my friend, the adventurer wants me to go do something I'm not comfortable with. I'm in the spark has a really important role. So that's, that was the genesis of the service superpower assessment and how I created it. And this idea of you don't have to be all things to all people. And I've actually heard from friends have said, Oh my gosh, now I know how I can do, like, I am really good at fundraising. Can I just fundraise? Um, yes, you can just <laughs> fundraise. Or I'm really good at planning trips outside. Can I just take friends and tell them like what I've seen, the climate change I've experienced? And I said, yes, that's a life, that's a life experience for so many people. Do what you're good at and apply right. it to the movement. I love that. Because it does sometimes feel like, oh, it's not enough. It's not enough. But it, if we're all doing something, all those some things add up to enough. And as you said, we're right. infecting the culture, which will help with the policymaking. And you, exactly. I wanted to reference that part in the book, actually, because I think it's, it's real important. You say, I know we must have a cultural change for policy to work. This is where your one green thing comes into play. A repeated uplifting act can alter how we think and feel and eventually shift public opinion in favor of bold climate policy. The most well-intentioned people often feel overwhelmed when they grasp the enormity of the climate crisis, but we can turn a sense of helplessness into a sense of accomplishment with small, consistent actions. Setting an intention each day to take a step, a one green thing, to care for the planet can help ease our anxiety about the future, push the culture toward climate solutions, and create a sense of joy. Love. So oh, good. Thank you, Lisa. So thank good. you. And I think it, the joy part is very important. Yeah. Because, of course, when you read the science, there is a lot of gloom and doom, and that is the truth. Yeah. These, these extreme weather events are intense. I mean, you're in California, you know, wildfires. I know wildfires. I'm in Montana. I have friends in New Orleans who understand hurricanes and we have a lot of challenges in front of us, but there's joy in this daily action and trying to do all that you can. I've had all these conversations with my teenagers who I adore, who, if you ever think I'm getting a big ego, just know, Lisa, they <laughs> like to, they like to tell me like it is. <laughs> And this idea of individual action of, you know, mom, you know, we, there's, there's a huge catastrophe, a huge oil spill, skipping the straw doesn't make a difference. Mm -hmm. And I'm in my response to my 16 year old was like, you're 16 year olds, 16 years old, and you live in Bozeman, Montana. 
what are you supposed to do? You're right. not going to go to Nigeria and clean up the oil spill. Right. Right. Of course we need big change. Yeah. Of course we need that. But that only happens when we make these small changes every day. And, I, and I'm very clear in the book that big companies, oil companies are responsible. There's basically like a hundred companies that are responsible for 70% of the carbon dioxide equivalent emissions that we've had since 1989, right? right? hundred right. companies. It isn't about Heather and Lisa right. and our cars and our particular carbon footprint, but Heather and Lisa are consumers and we make choices. And those choices, voting with our wallet, talking to people, talking to members of Congress, if, if that's your thing. And I encourage as many people to do that as possible. Getting involved in democracy. It's not a spectator sport. Yeah, yeah. That's all we can do, right? In order for the changes to, to add up. So I think it's important that we, the, uh, the case for optimism is that every person matters and we need to do something every day and it adds up, but we have to hold the bad actors accountable. That's not a reason not to hold bad uh, actors accountable, but that it can be fun and joyful to take climate action. And so climate action isn't always the same for everyone. It's not always testifying before Congress, which I have done. It is also taking a young person that you love into nature with you and asking them to put their phone down. Right. That does count because there's peer-reviewed scientific literature that says if a child spends time with someone they love who they consider a mentor and has a meaningful outdoor experience by age 11, they are more likely to have a lifelong environmental ethic. That is a one thing. Oh, that you know, brings and, and tears. So, so it, but, but also choosing a different brand at the grocery store for yeah. your laundry detergent counts yeah. too. Yeah. That, is, that former point you just said, it brings me to tears, I think, because our connection to nature is so important and how nature moves us and we protect the things we love. And so, as you said, if we, if we start to form these connections at a young age for kids and help encourage that then all the better for our future, their future. And it ties back to eco-anxiety too, Lisa. That's such a good point because time in nature can help with eco-anxiety. Right. It can heal for sure. And again, scientific peer-reviewed studies about the, the positive effects on mental health of spending time outside. And it's interesting. I wrote a piece right when my kids were, gosh, maybe two and a baby. <laughs> And the, the piece was for the National Wildlife Federation, and it was all about the digital generation and how today's kids aren't connecting to nature. And what I was concerned about 15 years ago, now 16 years ago, is that they weren't going to connect to nature. But what's interesting is that what we're seeing with Gen Z, they don't have the downtime in nature, but they, they care more mm. because it's about their future. Right. And so a lot of their digital media really is about the climate crisis and they know more about breaking news than many adults do because that's what they're sharing on Instagram. And, and there's no young people on Facebook. They keep reminding me, but Instagram and um, all the other platforms, I don't know about TikTok and the other, other platforms they're sharing yeah. news is what they're doing. Okay. So I think that's an interesting disconnect yeah. is that they care the most, but they need nature the most. Right. 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 Cause they're not in it. Right. <laughs> Well, you, you have these green touch points throughout the book, which I think are really cool. And actually just open to that. Have you ever had a moment of breathtaking gratitude? Yeah. And I have to say, apart from intimate moments with loved ones, it's those moments with nature. It's in nature, yes. in those moments of awe and feeling 
that you're part of something so much greater than just yourself sitting there. But Lisa, that is your sage. I just want to know right now that is a clip for what it means to be a sage. Oh, my sage is coming <laughs> absolutely, through. Absolutely, it's true. I think that's true for so many people. Is this this feeling of gratitude when you have that time to disconnect and look around and just say, "Wow." And feel yourself, you know, feel, feel your insignificance, but your significance right? with all that's around you. And I, I do, I feel very called to want to get a group of people together in nature to, mm-hmm. to review your book. We can encourage each other and report back yeah. and share in each other's joys and accomplishments through it. So I think that's kind of a cool idea. I love that idea. And I think it's important for us to have a shift because I know so many people care, but they're worried about being judged. I think this is why when Aaron, I mean, how amazing is that to say I'm Renee Brown of the environmental movement. God bless you, Aaron Brockovich. So Thank fitting. you for that. But but the, the, the reason I think is because so many people feel shame. They feel shame when they understand what we're leaving our kids if we don't act. And right. oh my gosh, did I make the right choice at the grocery store? And I read this article and it says to do this, but then that article, and I just read something about a gas stove. Oh my gosh, I need to get rid of the gas stove. What do I do? And that's where we have to just kind of cut through all of that. Too much. And say this isn't this isn't about pointing fingers. Right. I mean, yes, we all do need to get educated and be responsible for ourselves. Yeah. But we can't go it alone. We do need these big solutions, and we need to do the best we can in the way that works for us and manages to our strengths. Right. That helps it to be sustainable too, so that the one yeah. green thing continues every day rather than a one green thing once in a while or once a month. If it's something that you already innately do it's already in you and part of you it makes it the daily action that much more sustainable it's so true lisa and i was just thinking i don't know if you've gotten to part three of the book yes but i think it's pretty funny i think it's funny i don't know if you remember the we fit oh i saw that (laughs) i was thinking what is this you remember the we fit this was like 10 years ago but i don't know anything about it i'm so surprised that it was not nice to you So like, well, so just for the listener, yeah. this, is, this is not a spoiler alert for the book, but like I talk about this experience with the Wii Fit, which was this exercise equipment that you're supposed to step on and it's supposed to like encourage you to exercise, but it would tell me how much I weighed and announce it like through the TV system, all through the house. <laughs> and then it would also say what my medical age really was, which was much higher than my actual age every single time I, st- I stood on it. And then I would try to do the exercises. <laughs> As if, by the way, standing on something could really give you a true measure of that. Right. Right. Thank you. Thank you, Lisa. I appreciate that as a as a professional in the field, you know. But it was so unmotivating because I always heard like, you're not doing it right. You're not doing it right. And so I did it a couple of times and then just gathered dust and I gave it away. Right. And I hope it wasn't traumatic for someone else. <laughs> But but my whole thing is let this book be the opposite of my experience with the We Fit. Yes. Right. Yes. You are welcome. Try like and if you miss it one day, it's not it's not like you're being graded on your one green thing. Right. You know, it's no problem. But just that intentionality, that moment of connection. If it's buying carbon offsets to offset your trip that you're about to take, or it's calling a member of Congress, or taking a walk in nature, or reading an article, or sharing something, watching a documentary, all these things count. Yeah. That intentionality is important in order to do that culture shift. It's either we embrace it and do it in a perfectly imperfect way or we're paralyzed. So let's go for it perfectly imperfect. It takes so much pressure off so that we have energy to 
put into the things that when we're when we are ready, when we do have the strength and energy. It doesn't have to look perfect. So all pressure's right. off. <laughs> well, I think in environmentalism, it changes constantly. Like what right. is the right decision? And that's things that that is challenging. I mean, that's just science for you. Same with health, right? It changes all the time what what is good and what isn't. Yeah. And so that's where I think people get frustrated too. And that's why I just go back to this daily routine, this mm. daily habit of one green thing for the planet, for yourself, for your future, for your kids, and for the future loved ones. Yes. And I have an idea too. Once you find out your service superpower, make a board, like a vision board for it. You have a profile and each profile has a 21-day action plan. So if mm-hmm. you read about X flood or some catastrophe that we're dealing with and you have that wave of feeling overwhelmed and powerlessness and anxiety, go to the board and choose something. Mm -hmm. You've created your board based from the chapter in your book, and then you choose it and then go do something and see how your energy shifts. And remember that feeling of, oh, wow, I didn't sit in the fear. I did something. I took inspired action. And just moving helps energy, the fear energy move through you. But then you're also doing something to help. So that's double goodness. So that's what I encourage people to do is create a board I love that idea. I'm totally going to do that idea. I love it. And share your board. Share with us your board mm-hmm. at, and use hashtag one green thing. Wonderful. Wonderful. Yes, please do that. That's so that's so fantastic. I think it's an um, such an important moment because it could be everything from give to the Red Cross. Right. Right. Yeah. Or plan a go kit. Yes. Depending on where you live. Yeah. I have one because I live in Montana and there are fires. Right. Um, but get it ready. So you just know it's peace of mind. You just have it to the side. You know where your important documents are. Red Cross has been saying to do that for 50 years. You know, you, you've done it. Um, or it can be uh, calling a friend that you haven't talked to in a really long time because you realize life is really short mm, and you sweet. make some time for a friend that you wouldn't have. So it doesn't have to be, quote, green, because remember, compassion and know you can't go it alone is an important part right. of one green thing, too. Yeah. I love that idea of a board. I'm going to do that tonight. Thank Thank you. you. Yeah, I'm going to do, I'll do mine and I'll post it and and share. Fantastic. Yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. Awesome. Well, the book releases April 19th. So what a powerful way to kick off Earth Week that leads up to Earth Day. I know you said you were recording the audio version recently. So we look forward to to that as well. I like to have both. I like to have the audio of books because I can listen while I'm hiking or driving somewhere and get it in through all your senses, so to speak. Plus, I love your energy and your voice. So I know the the book's going to be great to listen to. Oh, thank you so much, Lisa. It was such a journey doing the audiobook, which Erin had warned me about. <laughs> she said, you, you know, you like reading and you love the verb talking. Um, but it, it, it was very, it was much harder than I thought it would be. Mm-hmm. It really was. And I'm just so grateful for the experience to be able to do it. It was fun. It was very emotional. Um, just talking yeah. about when you're talking about the overwhelming gratitude, just talking yeah. about my grandfather and the story I tell about my mm-hmm. grandfather too, just getting choked up while I was reading it and yeah. thinking about him seeing me you know, in oh. an audio booth recording the book. It was just, it's just such a special, wonderful experience. But I think it's great for listeners too, people who are super busy. You know, you can just, yes. while you're out for a walk, you can listen to it. Yes, absolutely. This needs to be part of a climate curriculum that they're teaching in schools. Fantastic. I love it. Thank you. I was thinking of the experience of chronic illness and injury to ourselves and equating that to the planet 
to any of those listening that have experienced a physical or mental challenge, you, know, you can relate to slow healing because sometimes there are going to be baby steps, but it's the little things that then you can look back a year from now and go, oh, look at how I've changed just a little bit each day, but look at the impact it had. Now equate that to the planet. Again, it feels like a little bit each day, but if we all do it collectively, the planet's going to feel it on some levels in one year, in five years, in 10 years. And so I was just thinking, leaning into our interconnectedness. You can't help but think of that as we're dealing with chronic health conditions and autoimmune conditions are on the rise and our planet is hurting, that as we heal our planet, we will heal. And as we heal ourselves, we will heal the planet. And it's all just this beautiful interconnected dance. Lisa, I love that. I love that analogy. I think it's very powerful. It's powerful about the importance of small steps and small actions. Yeah. But it's also really important because I just had this vision of trees being the lungs of the planet, mm -hmm. rivers being the blood, you know, pulsing through. I mean, there, there are all of these connections that we have with our body and earth and how we are interconnected. And I think this idea of personal healing and healing of the earth is really powerful. Yeah. Beautiful. Well, in your book, One Green Thing, you say we can make change. You remind mm -hmm. us of the power of the collective. So thank you. Thank you, Heather. Through this book, you are educating us. You're empowering us. You're giving us tools and strategies to shift us from feelings of overwhelm and powerlessness to feelings of joy, where we feel purposeful and remind us to celebrate our connection with one another and the planet. Your work is the spark. Are you a spark? I'm actually a wonk. Okay, you're a wonk. Philanthropist. Okay. I'm a wonk, philanthropist, <laughs> philanthropist, wonk, depending on the day that I take the service assessment. <laughs> well, this book and your work is the spark to help I love us take inspired action guided by our unique gifts and innate passions and interests. So thank you for this gift to the world. And we're just so grateful to you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Lisa, for all that you do and for the opportunity to share the book with your listeners. And I'm just so, so grateful for, for you and your mission and thrilled to have this time with you. Thank you. And we're going to link to all your social channels. We encourage everyone to follow you and follow the One Green Thing mission so they can stay up to date on all the goodness. I'm sure as the book releases and comes out and unfolds in these coming months, there's going to be a lot to share. So encourage folks to follow along and obviously pick up your book, One Green Thing. Thanks so much, Heather. Thank you so much, Lisa. Thank you. Thank you to our entire team behind the scenes at GLOW. I'm so grateful for your care and commitment to serving our members around the world. Thank you to our teachers for so beautifully sharing your gifts and talents. I'm also grateful to our lovely community of GLOW members. You've supported us since 2008, and because of you, we get to continue to do the work we love. It's the combined support of our team, our teachers, and our community that grants me the privilege to continue to bring you the GLOW podcast. Thank you to Lee Schneider at Red Cub Agency for production support. And the beautiful music you're hearing now is by Carrie Rodriguez and her husband, Luke Jacobs. And remember, take care of yourself because our world needs you. Thank you for coming on this journey with me. You can find The Glow Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or glo.com slash podcast, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. I'm Derek Mills. Derek Mills.